Uh, hello, stargazers. Uh, time for another uh, discursive discussion on the Podman Rush. Uh, this is where we gather and pretend not to be optimists nor pessimists, but solutionists. See how I enunciated that? Uh, this week, along with Mike Heike, uh, who tore into the Dallas Stars on, on DallasStars.com. No, he didn't. Good article, though. I read all your stuff. Oh, right? thank you. Yeah. The fans love me. Well, it's Hey Heike. <laughs> we'll get into that, too. Uh, but uh, elated to have the great Owen Newkirk from Stars pre, post, and intermission on the Marconi winning ticket. Owen, welcome. Uh, do you and Bruce have a, a squawk line, a, a crow line? You take calls? Oh, yeah. Every single game. How, how many do you take? It depends on a couple of factors. How <laughs> late it is, how the game went. Okay, which one's better, though? Wins or losses? Losses. As far as the volume of calls, it's usually after a loss. And usually a frustrating one gets more. Do you guys have a name for the Crow Line? Or yes. Is it the uh, no, we actually have right now. It's our. It's a sponsored element. So it's uh, we go to the phones. Brought to you by Modelo. Mm. Show your fighting spirit. Wow, that's a step up from this podcast. I don't think we have any live reads on this right now. <laughs> well, they also uh, gave us some samples. So very nice sponsor of the Dallas wow. Stars. So yeah, I feel you I feel and I need to get into pre-post and between periods radio, right. Mike. I mean, anytime I you guys want to swat, I'll, uh, I'm sure we'll step aside for <laughs> you. Do you get any you. swag from Hey Heike? No. No. I've Maybe never, you need something. I've never gotten any swag ever. All right. Well, boys, uh, at, at what point on the crisis trail uh, have we arrived in Starsland? No regulation wins. 12 even strength goals or so. They're like 24th in goals against. They have a 4-6-2 and two record. The record actually is saving because I do believe that they have a window here where they can, let's say, let's say they go six and two. Am I not close enough? Do I mean closer? Blue, blue, testing, testing. What people can't see right now is that Daryl <laughs> is Mike's mic. also <laughs> acting as producer as well as on-air talent. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, the four, six, and two, I believe, get, puts them in a place where, let's say they go six and two, which I do believe is possible with this schedule. Now all of a sudden you're in a good place and you're, Back in the playoff picture, which is where they seem to shoot for. Let's shoot for seventh or eighth place and see if we can get in. Um, sorry, being a little bit sarcastic there. I, did you not hear my introduction there? Where we're not, we're discursive, <laughs> not not optimists or pessimists. That's true. Solutionists. Solutionists. Like. So yeah, they need to get their game together, which I think is there, possible because we've seen it in the past, and they don't have injuries, and they seem to have options for the coaches to use then the coaches and the players have to get on the same play, uh, same page. The goaltenders need to make a few more saves. And like, like I said, they, I believe it's, they can go six, two and one or whatever. In a you got very sing-songy there for I a did. second. I you know. know. Sorry about that. You hear that. Can you hear, very that, you hear that fan in the Professorial <laughs> or preachy or something like that. Anyway, continue. Uh, so yes, I do believe that it's possible. The underlying numbers are terrible and they have to fix them all. May I offer a slightly pessimistic counterpoint to oh my God, do you, do the optimism? <laughs> do they listen? I like to, at least on our show, give the facts and stats, as I was accused of the other day. And I was very proud of that. All right, lay them <laughs> fine with that. But the negative side, and there's much to be optimistic about. I agree with Mike in that regard. But I looked at the standings this morning. 
and the Stars are seven points out of a playoff spot. And in this day's NHL, where two points are not a guarantee because there are a lot of three-point games, seven points seems like a gorge to try to cross. And so I understand why the alarm bells are being sounded so strongly at the moment, because if you wait too much longer, you might not be able to overcome that gap. Okay. There, there's... They started too late this season for the old American Thanksgiving rule, where if you're not in the top eight or near it uh, at American Thanksgiving, we say American Thanksgiving because there's also a Canadian Thanksgiving that's earlier than the American Turkey Day. Uh, now, I don't know what that date is this year, but you can just push it down the road by a week to 10 days, probably something like that. And you're right. It is disturbing that they're, they're seven points back now. Uh, and But the... The other side of that would be that they have not played anywhere near to their capability, and they're, they're seven points back. So I, I'd call their situation right now the take your hands out of your pocket, uh, start to increase the pace a little, and uh, close on the pack in front of you, find a little surge in your energy on that trail, the crisis trail, as I call it. And uh, they get the opportunity, every opportunity to do just that because they're going to be at home uh, essentially the entirety of this little window where they can get back. Now, the sense I've gotten from this group is that they're, they're a pretty tight group off the ice. Uh, they're, you, know, you have all those fins and that. It's understandable, right? And a group of guys, for the most part, that have gone through some stuff the last couple of seasons. So the, the issue for me watching them is that they are way too wound tight on the ice. And that's understandable on some levels because individuals who expect a lot out of themselves and other people expect a lot out of them are not getting it done. And they haven't in the first 12 games of the season. Now I'll remind people that this is not a 56 game schedule and this is not 69 games, hopefully like it was two years ago when they pause it. Uh, they still have 70 games left. There's 70 games. It's a marathon. The, the caveat to that attitude from a veteran team, which you get all the time, when you have older teams, they all want to sit. They're all Aaron Rodgers. They all want to, not that they're not vaccinated, but <laughs> they want to step back and they want to tell everyone to relax, hold it here now. This is a long grind. Okay, that, that's, that's fine. But at some point, you, you got to take one in the fanny and kick it into gear. Uh, and it's, I, I think it works best. And they have the mix here. That's why it's perplexing in some ways. They have the mix between young guys, and they're going to be more young guys because they just brought a couple up, and veteran guys, so that your young guys kind of push the pace and get you through the wallows of a season. Veteran guys are just meandering their way through, understanding that when it gets real, hopefully, playoff time, been there, done that, and, and they can take the lead. But there are times during the season, especially early on, where you need your young guys to take the lead. And outside of Miro, which we'll get into in a bit, nobody's really taking the lead for them in that regard. Good point. Um, on paper, look at that. Who, who would have ever thought I you wasn't would do that? I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for a follow-up. This is Heike's daily affirmation. That's right. Uh <laughs> What, what would you, what, what would you th say here right now that 
is the number one thing that can jar him out of this thing. What did it happen the other night? Was it the players only meeting? Yeah. I mean, I said last week, I really do think they need some swag. They need to sit there and say, sound like Monty three years ago. I know I do. And, and, but they, like you said, they're so, they're wound so tight. They're so afraid of making mistakes. I mean, if you want to break it down person by person and each one, what they're going through. Mike, we're trying to keep this to 40 minutes. I know. But my point being is each one of them has a reason to, you know, question whatever's going on in their game. Right. A good point. And, but as a team, they need to come together and like I said, just be that team that says we're better than that team across the ice. All right, jump in here. They need a blowout win. They need a feel-good score five to seven, cruise in the third period because the game's not really in doubt at that point. Get out of this funk fest. You mentioned, uh, you know, you talked about reading Heike for prep. Well, I heard you on the Musers this morning, the Marconi winning Musers, if I might add. And Big you, hand in that. Stars have had a hand in that. You mentioned that, by the way, I liked how you got a, an extra 0.7 instead of 0.6 credit. Yeah, yeah they, which they gave him his do credit but the you mentioned that the coaches are playing whack-a-mole right now and the problem i think is is that it's whack-a-mole but each time you put down one it's like multiples it multiplies you have two or three holes spread out and you talk about being tight and not feeling comfortable and and playing loose and free it doesn't look like they're having fun and I think well, losing is never fun. No, anymore. it isn't. And and I think that having fun goes hand in hand with when you yeah, play it's well. A, it's a complete catch twenty two. It 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 always is. Uh, you know, they're wound tighter than a, a piano string right now, and you're like, okay, well, just relax, just have some fun, just you know, play for the the fun of it. Well, it doesn't work that way, no. right? Now, no. when good things happen, like you just say, the the one thing I always worry about with that when you're in a bit of a, a tailspin like this is that let's say they win seven to one over Philadelphia. Great. It's, it's terrific. They prove they can score some goals, prove they can keep pucks out of their own net until they follow it up with another effort and another effort like that and string it together. It feels situationally motivated, right? Where it's like, okay, we've won one of our last seven games. We had a players only meeting. Uh, you know, the coach had a 15 second post game, uh, presser, you know, so then they come out and they, you know, they just play like their lives depend on it and they win a game like that. And then you hope that they don't just exhale and that they can move forward with it. And that was, you guys have both been around here for a long time. That was the issue that past coaches had and some individuals that came in, players came in. It was like, you win a game around here and it's like they won the cup. Right. And, and it can't be that way. So I'm with you though. I, they, they need a big, splashy positive here soon either that or they need a team puppy it's one or the other <laughs> i don't know which one would have a bigger impact might be the puppy well they can't they can't have jason spets a fight two minutes into no the game. they can't but they can have a they can get a puppy they could. they could go to the shelter and get one oilers got one and they went nine and one after they got their puppy now they also have mcdavid and dry in a 50 percent power play but <laughs> just saying all right uh slow starts slow start to the season and slow starting in games is just habitual with this group. And it has been for a while, right? Like the only year that I can remember where they truly sprinted out of the gates was 1560. And I mean, they, they just destroyed people early in the season. And, and then they you remember off. they were awful in the preseason. And 
And and we all said that, hey, they couldn't win a preseason game. But then I remember all the coaches and and even Jim Neal was going, gosh, we really hope it's not a deal. And then they storm out and go, yeah, see, preseason doesn't matter. But there was a little bit of creeping doubt about that because they lost just about every preseason game and there was worry. And then that was erased almost immediately. They, that was the year they injected a couple of guys who had won, Johnny Oduya and Patrick Sharp from Chicago. And, and some guys just were right in their prime stride of the way uh, they wanted to play. They got great goaltending, but they could outscore three goals, four goals uh, repeatedly. Uh, that's the only time. I mean, every other year you look at it and you're like 10 games, 15 games, 20 games in, we're left going, okay, are they going to turn the corner here? Like, it seems like it's been a struggle. It's a hard way to live, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and again, I know the system and there's this and that. Is there a philosophy here of we're going to pounce on your mistake? And if our philosophy is we're going to pounce on your mistakes, then we're waiting for you to make a mistake. And that team, they, were, they didn't care. They were just going to play their game. But I, I, if the, it's a philosophy of Hitch, of Monty, of Rick. We're going to pounce on your mistakes, but then we have to wait for you to make a mistake. But I think that philosophy, the general philosophy since then has been the same. Different coaches, yeah. but the philosophy's essentially been the same. Yeah. Take care of our net. Right. Be interested in our net. Right. Then their net. Right. Uh, the issue has been guys get to their net, get that scoring opportunity, and just don't score. Right. Coaches can't do much about that. Right. They just can't. Like, they I, can't. No. Well, I mean, I guess in Lindy's philosophy you got a lot of chances and you were like you were so did they (laughs) they did but i'm just saying from a scoring standpoint uh alice hemsky or a matthias janmark were different because they were going to the net and they were going to try and score and they knew they were going to get those opportunities pretty much every game so i think their mindset was i need to score and then you know i'm going to practice this because i know it's going to come up in a game as opposed to this philosophy, which is, well, I may get two or one a game, and uh, I sure hope I make it. You think that's the attitude? I think it's part of it. Well, like, okay, so why are they passing up shots? Because they're non-confident. Okay. So why are they non-confident? Because they're not scoring. Correct. So why are they not scoring? <laughs> because every goaltender they play against, it's destined for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but some of these guys are like playing their fourth NHL I, game. I'm, I'm being facetious, Mike. I know. I know you it's are. It's true. I'm di- but I'm just saying... There's something there that the coaching style, it does limit their, well, yeah. well, their yes. regular 82-game offensive look, 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 mindset. Look, 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 look. Look at the Islanders since Barry Trotz went to the Islanders. That, that's how they play. They, they've got some guys that could chase 50, but they're not going to. Uh, but when they get presented with opportunities within the game, they cash in, and they just don't give up much. doesn't matter who's in net for them. They change goaltenders around, bring this and that, and away they go. So it's they, – they just they, – they need, they need some positives. Yes, they, I agree they, with they that. Need, they need a couple layups yep. you know, well, before and, they start shooting and, threes. And, and they I just need a couple layups. And I keep going back to a guy like Jason Robertson. Like, so here's a – he had no expectation to be even good last year. I mean, he wanted to be, obviously. They thought, well, maybe he can be, but he went in there and made it happen. Now, whatever the system was, whatever the style was, he was going to do it individually. And you have to do it within the framework of the team. But then you also, on your own, have to say, I'm going to score this goal, and I don't care what it takes. Yeah, I don't think he has any problems personally with his on-ice confidence. No, and no the way, neither The do way I. he plays <laughs> but, is you can tell he believes he's going to be a difference maker, score, 
make the pass that he's trying to do. And when he came off of that injury, it was just so evident. Once again, you go, wow, he's really a special player. Yeah. And then, so then why aren't the other guys? I mean, they're top level. Why okay, is, well that, that, why is Sagan or Radulov or Ben they, not doing the same? Forget exact about thing? him. Let, let's just talk about Miro. Yeah. Okay. So as, as the individual struggle, like you guys say, and the team struggles and they can't get their offense rolling and this thing and the other thing, why is Miro leading the team with a point a game and third in the NHL in defenseman scoring and leading the team in power play points? Why is he able to do it? Same system, same coaching philosophy and everything else, but he's, he's a point a game. So why? He's that special. Well, he is special, but I, I do. There honestly, are others that have the ability to be. I agree with uh, that. Kind of shiny special too that just aren't. Well, and the other funny things like so, I give I cut John a little bit of slack because of he's he's with a new partner that takes it's a process to try and get used to Ryan Suter and he's got a contract. Miro's not with a new partner. No, his his old partners in. I was gonna. Say. He's a kraken now. <laughs> Miro has a different partner gonna, every shift. Yes. That was the point I was going to make is that like you can give John some reasons for what, him not playing well right now or trying too hard. But then you look at Miro, he's with a different guy every shift. And he's still Miro every shift, it seems like. Yeah. They, they should, maybe they, they should go to the old Chris Pronger. Remember that one back in the day he was, when he was in Edmonton? I laughed, went into the room on the whiteboard. They had his number. What was he wearing there? 55 or uh, something? Yeah, like that? I think something so. Up top. And had his number in the middle. And then all the other defensemen were in a circle around him. I've never seen that before. I'm like, what the hell is this? He goes, well, basically, that's how it works. He just plays with everybody. Because he would play 30 minutes a night. Maybe he just play everyone with Miro. Yeah. It's good. They come close some nights. With yes. That. You know, I'm not surprised, but Miro is one of those guys who you would expect to do this. Signs a big contract. Starts getting huge, deserved money. And is actually better than he was last year. Now, last year, I think offensively, he wasn't where he wanted to be. But he looks like he was in the bubble. He looks like you would expect. The biggest problem is, I'm not so sure you want your team, you want your best defenseman leading your team in scoring at the end of the year, if you want to be a good of team. Of course not. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's... A, now, Nashville crept into the playoffs with Yossi being their best player. Miro's probably their best player. I don't know, maybe probably is unnecessary. But you don't want to be squeaking into the playoffs. No, you don't want your forward group chasing your defense for scoring. It just suggests to me that the possibility of individual success is there. It's oh yeah, he he's proof. So well, hey, get the mirrors up. Yeah, a lot of mirrors. I agree with that one. And then maybe that's what that meeting was the other night. Maybe Uh, it's interesting that Mike Keene used to uh, have many opinions on Ken Hitchcock. But one was that that team could win with six different coaches. Like they truly believed it. And they said, if we have to win with Hitch's system, we have to win with Hitch's system. And that was a Mike Keen way of saying things. But that was the player saying, we're going to control this. We're going to win this game. Letty used to also come in and say, you know, we, we deviate from what he <laughs> wants us to do. And Sure enough, our game drifts and we struggle to win, and then we do what he tells us to do, and we win consistently. Pisses us off. <laughs> uh, so the the meeting the other night with the players only, and they asked me this morning. I, I have no idea who called it, which way, which direction it was, but you got to think your leadership wanted to shut the door and have at it uh, with one another, which is all. Uh, it's healthy. It it's 
too bad that it's needed, but it's needed from time to time within a, a season and a group in that. So anyway, Jamie Ben is uh, captaining this sort of vacillating squad right now. Uh, ninth season with the C. I remember when he first got it, he said, I, I want to be uh, captain of a playoff team every year, year after year. Well, that just hasn't manifested itself. It's been a, a weird run. Uh, but that was his desire back in 2013. He hit a couple of milestones this past week or, or so uh, that make you kind of sit up and cock your head a little bit, right? Because a lot of stuff's gone on for the last few years in that uh, with COVID and, you know, at times just play that's drifted and it, it, prior to that, excellence and, and what have you. But, um, you know, he moved into sole possession a third in games played for this franchise. It's just Broughton and Madonna ahead of him. Yeah. That's a lot of hockey in, yes, in one city in uh, these days where there's a lot of movement, seems more transient than it's ever been. And uh, he took over that top spot in overtime goals. Now, that's a little wishy-washy because Mike didn't have as many shots. Yeah, three on three overtime. At that. He was yeah. playing, well, it was five on five. Remember, they just added five minutes, and then they went to four on four. He never saw three on three. Um, but, I mean, it does make you kind of sit there and go, well, okay, will, will Jamie Benn be the last guy to wear 14 for this franchise? I think that's a, that's a real good argument, even now. Um, I have immense respect for Brendan Morrow and everything that he's done. And I think he was a great captain. And now you start looking at Jamie and you start saying, well, you know, Brendan got hurt. Jamie doesn't seem to get hurt that much. You know, Brendan didn't produce the points that Jamie did when he was at his peak. And so you're starting to sit there and go, you know, I think, you know, Brendan might be one of the, you know, top whatever, 10 players in, in franchise history. And if he's already ahead of him and still has whatever, three, four, five years to go, then that's pretty impressive. The one thought I have of the anti would be, does he have to win a cup in, to, to, to solidify it? Because all the guys from the, that they've been putting up with Dallas were part of that 99 team, the new class, if you will, uh, of retired jerseys. I don't think, personally, I don't think he has to, but maybe just to, you know, rubber stamp what is, what's really incredible is that he, you know, he's had his injuries here and there, but he doesn't miss games. No. He just plays. And you know he's hurt playing. And he will never admit it. Yeah, I, I, I've always had some issue with you, you got to win whatever sport it is. You have to win a championship. Because some guy, I mean, you need so many things to go right. Got to within two wins of winning a weird one in the yeah. bubble. Uh, but I think if you look at tenure, uh, he's a major league award winner. Won the Art Ross. A uh, couple of first all-star team. Those are the not, only two in franchise history, I believe. What's that? First, first all-star all team at the he's, end of the season. He's the only one well, who there has you go. in 50 some odd years. And he was, one of those years, he was, fin he was finalist. Not got votes for, a finalist for MVP of the league. Right. I think he finished third. Second or third? He was third. Third. Yeah. Uh, Olympic gold. I know that doesn't, it's not Dallas Stars related, but it kind of is. Won an Olympic gold medal, won a world championship gold medal. Uh, I mean, he's top three and five on a lot of those lists now. When you yeah. go into the back of the media guide, once you get past looking at your own bio, you two. Oh, it's still there? We've been, well, we've been 
slid. Remember when we were in the front for a while? We were important. It's a long they, time ago. Then they put us in the back. The next step is just not in there at all, which is coming because they don't, some teams don't even print a media guide anymore. It's a very digital world, Mike. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I believe that he might, he might be the last one to wear 14 yeah. around here. Now, I'm also a guy that likes taking numbers out of circulation, not necessarily retiring them and putting them to the rafters. But, I mean, he hits a lot of the boxes of what would make a guy and his number synonymous where nobody else wears it. Yeah. You know, drafted by you know, entire career maybe, or at least most of it. Uh, captain of a team, all, and then all those things we just right. stated. So it's funny this organization. So I don't think anyone wore twenty six, right? After year he left, and I don't think anyone wore fifty six, which both were retired. And we've got like eight guys wearing two. Every time I look down, I go two twenty twenty five. I know no, that's, yeah. that's Darian Hatcher. That was he was drafted, but like twenty five, and yeah, I get it. But this is Darian Hatcher, and they're just like, yeah. Who's the next guy? Yeah, it, Who's the next guy from well, Finland? Well, then otherwise you, you end up like some of these other teams. <laughs> yeah. Where, uh, there was an 84 in the game for Nashville. I, I looked, How does Na Nashville have to have an 84? I looked, 84. I looked over in the press box. I wore 84 in high school football. <laughs> and, I, and I said. One of the greatest 84s. I, I heard one of the greatest 84s in, in that school's history. Am I right? No. Oh, okay. Uh, close. Right. Yeah, I tried. I was a role player. I was the Mike Keen of the team. Uh, but I look for 84. That was the first one I've seen. Yeah, I've never. <laughs> you? Um, it's getting worse. Um, <laughs> I'm getting ready to do this Colorado Eagles-Texas Stars game. And all the Eagles, I swear that, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like the Avalanche have just decided that you have a number, whether you're in the a NHL or AHL. And there are three guys on their AHL roster that have numbers below 20 and they're all 60 through 80. Ugh. something. It's you, wouldn't, the traditionalists would not appreciate this. Well, roster. Tom Gillardi changed it. Didn't he for some of the stars players, Jordy Ben and back in the day when, uh, Oh, to move them down yeah. into traditional yeah. hockey number. Yeah. Look, I, I go back to where it was a, it was a big day when you could trade in your, quote unquote training camp number and get a legitimate I've kind of arrived NHL number. Right. And now guys just seem to embrace these high numbers. And and it ticks you off as a broadcaster because like the other night with you have Yossi and Fabro, I mean, you gotta pay attention yeah. because the numbers are almost identical. And they like those little slightly slanted oh, fonts it's, that it's brutal. It's brutal. I I understand a little bit some of the original six teams that just retired. I mean, but then again, we were in Boston. I was, I was like, they can still hand out six in Boston? Like, how, how are they still handing out six? But a team like Nashville? Nashville. Well, don't they have the well, they retired. Massive, massive faux pas? Did they retire seven immediately? Were there fans? Yeah, was, it, it, was it Minnesota, too, the Wild, that has one for the fans, or is it just Nashville where they put the banner foul? Well, the, the Kraken have a retired number yeah. already, 32. Yeah. They earned it. Oh, please. <laughs> Moving on. You guys, uh, do you miss beating down the players one-on-one -on -one in dressing rooms? Yes. Yes. You do? Yeah. Because you know, the players don't miss you guys. You I know. understand. Oh, that, for right? sure. 
No, it, well, I don't know about for Mike, but for me, the scrums, I've, I've tried to find a ma- way to make it work because it's all we have to get something out of it. But to me, I'm, I don't know what I'm searching for as a, you know, looking for something that I might be able to use in a pregame show. Break into a U2 song here in a second? Or <laughs> what's going Perhaps, on? but I, I don't know if I can play the edge lift, uh, riffs there. But no, it's just, the, it's the side conversations talking to a player like a human being that I find more interesting than the robotic, we've got our media guard up at a podium because I feel like, and, and maybe- why, I'm just curious, why do you want to talk to the player about life? Um. I guess just to, to, again, to, to just follow him on social media. You yeah. See what you're doing. yeah. But this is different. I, I mean, there are certain guys, you and, can't use most of that stuff no. on the broadcast and that. So. No, but it's more humanizing for me as a, maybe it's not good for the job to do that. That's what I used to always hate though, as a player. Now I was elated if anybody wanted to talk to me <laughs> when I was in, in the room, but for the most part, it was just like, no, just, Ask me questions about whatever my sport or you got questions about how things are going or aren't going. And then they get their, you know, they get their dander up a little bit when you criticize them just a little bit. Ask them why, you know, why are you asking that? What's going on with that? But I think the days of being able to sit down and you can go back to those days, it's just so different now. I don't, I think it's, it's difficult. It was even difficult prior to COVID to, get them to do that because they it's so different now like yeah. they can go hide down the hallway and and or there's so many the people that come in there and they all talk to one another the thing i didn't understand about it is that all the media would come into the room here's the access now yourself and mike you and a, a few other people would actually go in there with a purpose and ask people stuff that they could use on that night's broadcast right but a lot of people just went in there to Talk to one another. It was like you can talk to one another out in the hall. Why are you in here? Yeah, I, I get, always felt I get that. I but was, I also I was gonna say I also think you do get you establish a relationship, and maybe because I'm old, um, my relationship with the players isn't what it was when we were all the same age. Uh, so when we went in there and you just like I said BSed with Ludwig or Keen or whoever, I mean guys who are your same age or even younger than you, uh, it was it was. Fun. It was, and I, I tend to so think, much more time to do that. Yeah, a, yeah. they didn't have 19 meetings no. and they weren't in a big hurry to go to their meal room where the chef has made their morning. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. And, and then there was more time for you to write or turn that into whatever. And for us on the broadcast to why not? Now you have more time uh, with pre games and, and post games to be able to use that in, in fans calling in and at least you can use some of those references you have. I understand that. But like for me within the game now, I'd love to have these big, long, loquacious stories about yeah. players. We have no ability. Right. I have 15 seconds to make a point about someone. Yeah. Like a guy will score a goal. And in the old days, he would score. You could do all the replays and explain, well, this is why that happened and that happened. Come back out to the player and tell a story about him. There's no way you can do that now. They, they have dropped the puck. They're into play. and it's your time to shut up again. The big awkward feeling I have going into the dressing room is if I don't have a purpose or uh, I don't, not a purpose, if I don't have a specific angle or person I have a question for and I will walk in and look around and I'm starting to go, okay, well, who do I want to talk to today and what am I looking for if I haven't already figured it out? 
and uh, sort of stand on the edge instead of the the middle scrum of media, as you uh, so eloquently described. All sort well, of be in the middle, other. but then again, you you can't stand on the logo because they put the logo in the carpet. That's right. Like, yeah. Which doesn't make well, any sense. They have but a cover for that. Denny took care of it. Thank God. Yeah, Denny, the, <laughs> so they're in there doing it. I'd sort of best. stand on the back going, well, we could talk in the hallway. So, And then I'd find myself staring around at the guys at their lockers and watch them. And I hated approaching them bef- while they're taking off their equipment because it's literally like, hey, can you give me a second to breathe? And yet at the same time, if you don't get over there when they're alone, four other people show up. And not that I'm necessarily harvesting the one nugget of gold that nobody else will know, but sometimes players are less apt to be robotic when they're not in front of a scrum. And so that's what I like. I like the, again, I go back to the human talk. I like talking to people like they're humans, not robots. And I feel like a casual conversation, it may not get used at all, but it may be something that helps me because as a as a host now, instead of doing play by play, I've had to completely change what I'm doing. Instead of this is what's happening to have an opinion, and so I might be able to get something a player says and go, "Oh yeah, that guy is terrible," or that team does this, and and so I can you say, "Well, I've you know been talking to players, and I think this," and use it to sculpt my opinions for whatever that's worth. I think Owen had really strong relationships with players in Texas, where you think you had time to build those relationships. And then you could see it when they come up here, like he actually could get insight into what the group was thinking or what the coaches were telling the players because he was that, he had that kind of relationship with some of the players who had come up from the mine. Well, I was, I was the PR guy as well as the broadcaster. And so they saw me as staff, not as media, even though technically Daryl, we're not media. We work for the team and we're broadcasters, but they kind of lump us all in that way. But I always felt that in the minors, when you're on the bus together, when you're standing in the airport waiting for a 6 a.m. flight and everybody's tired or hungover or trying to eat their third breakfast sandwich or whatever after a bad loss, that becomes part, you come part of the team, the traveling party. And when I first came to Dallas, that was the biggest struggle I had was I didn't have the interactions because it seems like everything's a little bit more relaxed on the road. I mean, you, you guys- What, in the American Hockey League? I don't know about in the NHL, but in the AHL- yeah, I mean, I've, well, of course, I've, you, know, you're, other, you you're, go to the you're all building. striving to get to the next level. Right. You're all kind of in it together. And those guys don't feel it's like, like kindergarten. They, it's funny because the it's AHL, like Valentine's Day in <laughs> kindergarten. Everybody got a Valentine. Well, we were the, all in it together. In the minors, then you got to high they, school and it was like only a couple people got Valentine's. You can't, yes. you can't sit at our table. Yeah. Well, exactly. it's funny. The players in the AHL have done, I mean, only a few players ever make that level. It's a really high level of pro hockey. None of them feel like they've made it. Well, no, and, nobody, and they, nobody grows up saying, geez, I no. can't wait to play in Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. Like, you want to play in Boston, New York? But like, so Owen, at a time like this, wouldn't it be nice to walk in the locker room and talk to somebody you know and say, what's going on here? Because we don't really get that opportunity there. Here's your chance. Ask him three questions. He'll answer in a way that, you know, he's on his guard a little bit. But if you could be in that morning skate or practice locker room and say, what do you, you know, what do you see? How do you see this? Because uh, I think you've done that in the past, and I think it's, it's very helpful at times like this. Yeah, but I, I don't know that COVID's ever going to no, allow don't that yeah. to happen ever again. They just, it's just not, in their minds now, I think uh, they, have it, they have it the way they Correct. would like it. And you're right, like, you know, 
Tom Holy and, and Ben Fromstein and, and these guys have a different relationship with the players than we do in the media now. Uh, even those of us that have been here for a long time and, and work for the team, it's still, it's still different. It's still it's segregated a little bit. Um, and, you know, in, in some ways, I'm more okay with it now than I was probably five to ten years ago. Because there's so many other, A, there's not enough time, and B, there's so <laughs> many other ways to get stuff now. There, there really yeah. is. Um, and it, it's just, you know, like I think Michelle's doing a great job on our broadcast and, you know, pulling guys aside and finding out a little more about them. And, and I think you're, you're right, Owen. I, there, there are times when guys would like to get their story sort of out there a little more in that um, and be a more well-rounded athlete than just, you know, whatever the stat line well, says. Remember, I, I know Mike won't forget this, how angry and adamant Andre Secra was a couple, was a year or two ago. He was asked in front of a scrum, I think, about the Olympic participation. And he had very strong opinions about wanting to play there. Many European-based players do feel very strongly that way. But it was one of those things where it, to me, was a light bulb moment of his personality because we talked to him. He'd always been very pleasant, but I'd never seen that kind of forcefulness in an answer. And that, to me, went, wow, he's very passionate about this. There's another layer to this human being, and we need to explore that. As long as you have an outlet where you can spew that out. It's, that's, can't be, it's even harder when you do radio only. That's the only thing. Well, speaking of Europe, you're a big soccer fan, right? Indeed. Like, you love Man U. Mm, not quite. You love Man U. Talk a little bit about the greatness of, of Man United. The last game at Old Trafford, Manchester perhaps? United that is was just a good the greatest one. franchise ever. We, oh, we are at odds here. Liverpool, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, why? When I was 18... 17 almost, uh, it was when I was turning 18. 1998, uh, Michael Owen burst on the World Cup scene as an 18-year-old for England and scored some ridiculous goals. Uh, I was just starting college, I was about to, and that was really one of the first World Cups that were highly televised in our country. We, 94, but it was different, and I was pretty young. And I remember watching that just going, whoa, I like this guy, he's my age, we share a name, we sort of looked alike. I was not nearly as good a soccer player as he was, but I tried to be, and he played for Liverpool. And so then we started getting games on TV more regularly, and of course playing the video game. And and so I've you know it's been twenty some years. FIFA, now, a lot of FIFA, but well, but I've you, been a, and you played high level soccer. I played Division three college soccer, and I was a reserve goalkeeper. So I played. <laughs> I did play in games. Good but, try though, Mike. I know I was trying to pump him I, up. I mean, I, I appreciate that, but. <laughs> I don't want to try to oversell what I was. I did play college soccer, but not exactly at a world-class level. Uh, so you must be a Ted Lasso fan. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So you watch Ted Lasso? I do. Oh, good. Jamie Benn does not. I <laughs> asked him about it and he's like, what? <laughs> See, but you need a better relationship with the players. And you I get do. that out of them. I know. So. See, I could have asked that in a scrum. Uh, it would have been a lot more comfortable. So which Ted Lasso character would you closely relate to, would you say? I mean, Roy Kent is the best. He's my favorite. I don't think he's my character. I don't growl that much. Maybe Jamie to the press could be Roy Kent. That's actually pretty. Yeah. He's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. Um, is it lame to say Ted? 
I, I don't have his hokey expressions, but I am pretty optimistic. So you just want to insert yourself into the lead role. Let's, yeah, well, like to do? play by play guys, right? Are you that positive? Yeah. I mean, I I could go. Look at I, there's no right I, or wrong no, answer. No, no, I, I, I mean, I could be Coach Beard. I like him a lot. I don't know if I'm as funny as you he couldn't is. be Nathan. No, he's he's the evil Nathan. Did you not watch that last episode? No, don't ruin it for me. Okay, you haven't seen. Oh, geez, slow down. What are you doing? Spoiler uh, alert. What would you be, Daryl? Rupert. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. That is hilarious. I I do love Roy Kent though. Yeah, he's just so perfect. He's He's those, that old school yeah. group from the late 90s. Yep. I do also appreciate, I don't know his name, but he's the, the Dutch player on the team who cannot use sarcasm. Everything is bluntly truthful, right. most of the time to the detriment of everybody else's feelings. <laughs> right. But I do enjoy that because he just is robotically honest. Trent Krim? Who are you? Uh, Trent Krim. The I Independent. Do, I do like Trent Krim. I would be the... Mike Heike, Dallas Morning News. News Dallas Stars. I could see, Dallas I could see him being Higgins, too. That's, 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 that's who I have. That's who I have. Like, <laughs> that's who I am. Higgins? Uh, yes. Why? Just because I'm the guy in the background making sarcastic comments, trying yeah. to... Go home to my wife you know and kids. More, you know more than you're leading <laughs> right. on in a lot of circles. Yeah. Then we got, I think we got a nail. And he pops up out of a closet office where you didn't know where he was. <laughs> yeah. And if they put me in a closet office, I go, man, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Great show. Unbelievably good show. Um, so Lasso is unapologetically positive. That's the big part. Borders on corny from time to time. It really does. Uh, what would you say uh, in all this negativism, neg negativism, negativism that we've uh, meandered through here today? What would you say is, is the most positive story in the league in the opening month of the season in your eyes? Because mm. there's been, look, there's been a lot of clench your teeth, side eye stuff, stuff going on with the old shield. So. <sighs> I, uh, this is just fresh in mind because I watched it this morning. Um, it, watching the tribute that Boston and Edmonton did in Boston last night to Colby Cave, uh, they had his wife, uh, his surviving widow, out to drop a puck and she hugged every member of the Bruins and a bunch of the Edmonton guys. Um, I don't know. It's something changed in me physiologically when I had kids. I, was more, I think I'm more emotional now than I was before I had kids. But I just was waterworks watching her hug goes. That was a great moment of a sport and humanity all showing that, you know, I mean, the, the kid was 25. He was just starting to realize his NHL dreams and had a rare brain problem or they had random surgery and died. And so that was really cool. I and mean, that, that was just, I'm just fresh of mind. But, but you bring up a good point with last year and then really the year prior to that, you didn't have any human interactions going on within. And no fans. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. All around. Uh, and to me, that's probably the most positive part of things this year. Like even when we were doing these games remotely, uh, when they were in Canada, still you were getting at least organic feedback from those arenas rather than that phaser sounding fake garbage that was piped in in empty arenas and then 
just looking at those games, I don't, I, I don't know why Detroit sticks out more than others, probably because it's red. Uh, but I just remember the stars doing those games in Detroit and just looking at it and just going, my God, really? Like it's just an empty red arena with the stars playing a rebuilding Red Wings team. Well, Yuck. how about the season, or the, excuse me, the home opener against Los Angeles and the... I don't all, remember much after the puck drop, but all, some but, stuff happened. Yeah, I mean, the think about it. The, the, the Stars chants from the anthem, which we hadn't had with that full of a building, and then the, the, the comeback in the third period and the overtime winner from Gurionov. And I, I had the same reaction. I went, man, I can't believe how much I missed that. Yeah. Well, and I'll go to your point. I really do believe there's a family feeling. and It's not there right now, obviously, because the team's not winning and everybody's mad at everybody. But when you talk about hockey, and I'm not as much into football or basketball, so maybe they have it there too, or baseball, but like there is a full support. And if one of the people is struggling, and then like you talk about, you know, the players are real friends in the locker room, that's real. Like, and I think they have it with the fans. I think when you get these human beings all together and you're all cheering for this one victory green color, or whatever it may be, there's a special power there. And so I do, like I said, you know, with the emotion of it yeah. all, it's, it's real emotion. Yeah. So is that your big positive? No, my big positive <laughs> is, and this is ironic. I love the goal scoring. The what? The goal scoring in the league. I love yeah. McDavid's plays. I love looking down at Carolina and Florida and going like, oh, so these guys might actually try and outscore their opposition. And, you know, we work here and they have to build the way they're going to build. But I love the fact that the league is trending towards offense. Well, they're trying to trend trying toward to offense. Try, yeah. and, uh, it brings up a good finishing subject. Uh, the, it might have been yesterday. Anyway, John Tortorella is former coach, longtime coach. Uh, one coach of the year. He's won Stanley Cup. Uh, he's on TV now, on Espen. And he said it out loud again. The, I think it might have been yesterday or but he, he said Connor McDavid, he was critical of Connor McDavid. And he was like, Connor McDavid is going to have to learn how to play differently for them to win come playoffs. And I just sat there and just stared and looked. And I was like, that, is, that statement is everything that's wrong with the National Hockey League. Because I can guarantee you, I know, just out of my own brain, I can guarantee you that they're not telling Tom Brady in the NFL, you know what? Great, Tom. Like, I know you're completing a lot of passes and that, but you're going to have to learn how to play a completely different game come playoff time. And the same thing in the NBA, you know, LeBron, you're, you're a terrific player and everything. Uh, and you're, you're racking up points and you're throwing up uh, talcum powder and all that stuff, but you're going to have to be a different player come playoff time. No, you're not. No, they never ask their elite players and their best players to be a different player in what is essentially a different league then come playoff time, like the NHL does. I, I think the, the NHL has to find a way to make it so that players like Connor McDavid go off come playoff time. So that people, when you tune in and people uh, like us are telling, okay, he's, he's the greatest player in, in our game right now. And then people watch and they're like, well, he, he never really touches the puck in that and guys are just kind of attacking him all the time he hasn't done anything special in the game and you're like yeah because we put the parameters and the rules and a fence around him and we just suppress his his greatness joke but look at the history 
Yeah, but the history's wrong, Mike. The history is wrong. There's a guy back there <laughs> who really, I mean, he felt he sacrificed 20 points a year that he could have been Joe Sackick, but he won a Stanley Cup and he got him to the Stanley Cup finals. Right. And that worked. Different era. It was, but now. You know what? Who we, are the three teams that last year. Horses pulled buggies one day in this world, too, to get around, you know, who Mike? The, who are the three teams who may have been a little disappointing in the playoffs last year? Edmonton, Toronto, Colorado, three of the best offensive teams in the league. They can't win in the playoffs. Yeah. What point are you making? He's not. I, my point is, <laughs> I understand why coaches or John Tortorella would say this. He's wrong. Well, yeah, of course they're saying it. It, it is wrong. It's fundamentally okay. wrong. It's but it, old it's school. Work, it is old it school. Needs it's to change. in the past. That's fine. It needs to change. Okay. Like there's, why? For, for, they need a team to go for in. For television, for everything else. I agree. Like, they need a team to go in like Edmonton and win the cup and score six goals a game. Yes. And, so do it. Like, and unfortunately, I was in Edmonton with the Oilers back then. And I remember they had to learn because they were getting beat by the Islanders. They had to learn how to get harder come playoff time. Now, back then, Slats and Mock and them let them run amok for about 60 games. And then they would just tighten things up for the final 20 to 30 games, play better defense and that, and then roll into the playoffs. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can change your philosophies that much on the fly. I just think our sport needs to find a way to make it. We need to find a way to make it easier for I our agree. best players to, to be our best players. They shouldn't have to fight through crap to be a little bit ahead of the other players in the league. Because if you're watching games and your entry level and your, your lower rung players don't look that much different than your best and elite players, you got a problem. So you asked at the top of this podcast for solutions. Yeah. So I'm going to offer a solution. We'll but give you the final word. You're the guest on this. I appreciate that. They won't go for it. I believe that now would be the perfect time to add the three points for a victory because I believe that it would incentivize teams to play to win, not to play to not lose. And a lot of these defensively structured teams, Dallas is one of them, is designed to hang around and nip points and get those wins in close games. And if you had teams like Edmonton steamrolling three points, they leave teams in the dust in the standings. GMs are not going to go for that because even though mathematically you can actually make up ground faster in the standings with a three-point game, it visually looks, the optics are such that you look more like you're closer even though you, can't, you aren't. Yeah. And that'll never change. I, I don't believe. I'm a believer in that too. And the argument always is that, wow, we did the numbers and the numbers bear out. It wouldn't make much of a difference. And what they're missing is that they're you're applying mathematics to something that was played on a different, uh, basically playing field. Right. If, if that was the real thing going on and they knew that there was three points up there, they might have conducted themselves a little bit differently within the game. You can't just have revisionist history at the end of the uh, season. I, I believe in it. Whatever they can do to drive offense and reward offense and not defense is what they should be spitballing in all the rooms everywhere all the time. It should be the number one thing. Every other sport makes changes to their game, either structurally or philosophically, to drive offense. Because chicks dig offense. I think that's the biggest reason. Is it not, Mike? And the long ball. Yeah, they do love. <laughs> See? They do. 
They love touchdowns. They love the long ball. They love lighting the lamp. Yep. There you go. And scars. And the, the, and other, scars. Thing about, <laughs> scars. the other thing about it is, is the officiating. And I know they have a hard job, but it seems like every year the league brings out something that they're going to focus on. Slashing, it was hooking, now it's cross-checking. And the players, especially the guys that are defensive specialists, bemoan that. We just had that in a scrum the other day. Oh, I didn't like that call at all. Well, that's because you're trying to defend a skill guy from scoring. But what I'd like to see is don't stop calling the, the rule book, whether it's within the first minute or the last minute of a game or 10 minutes into double overtime or from the first 10 games to the last, the 82nd. Just call it the way you want it to be called. Don't keep changing it because of circumstances. I've said this a hundred thousand times. It's for a referee to not make a call because it's the time of the game where this team's had too many power plays or it's not the right time to get involved. They are by definition getting involved. I, I wish they'd go with the, take a look at who's getting fouled. Take a look at who's yeah. getting fouled. Yep. If it's, you know, a fourth line plug, man, eh, you can look the other way. Let the if flow of the game go on. If it's one of your elite guys, maybe we need to put the golden helmet on each, each of the top players on every team, right? And yeah, then they're like just it. untouchable. Put, you know, almost like uh, in volleyball, have a Libero uh, jersey. Just put, put, put a different colored jersey on that one guy. You can't touch him. And they just go nuts. McKinnon and these guys, they go berserk within the game. But then you'd say, okay, but we got four of those guys. Well, give them all those other colored jerseys. I like it. It's a good, need it. It's a good point, Daryl. All right. Remember, remaining positive in a negative situation or time is not naive. It's leadership. And I think we led our way through the, the meandering, circuitous forest here today. And we came up with what? Be a goldfish. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> Ted. <laughs> Solutions. Yes. That's what we were looking for in the beginning. This has been the Podman Rush. No back checkers. Thanks to Owen Newkirk and Mike Heike and you, Jordan, for putting this together in the meeting room. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>